We'll begin um, by taking refuge. So I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, and I take refuge in Sangha. I want to talk a little bit about the hungry ghost. So for those of you who participated in uh, the meditation, you might have a little taste of, or maybe you've been aware of that energy within your own psyche, your own system. Uh, In the Zen Buddhist tradition, we have this archetype called the hungry ghost, which comes from a teaching called the six realms of existence. And it's usually depicted as Uh, a wheel that's broken up into six slices and and each of the slices is another realm of experience and it's usually held by the lord of death lord yama who's clutching this uh, six wheels of existence Uh, and it's a teaching tool to remind us uh, of you know these different states of mind that we can come into being in relationship with and also like these different archetypes that exist within uh, the world and perhaps are actually realms. So the hungry ghost realm, the hungry ghost is often depicted as a being with a very large stomach and a very, very, very tiny throat and their, their tongues are like made of fire. And so whenever, and they're so, so they're so hungry. That's like the depiction of the very large, like stomach. It's so hungry, but they can't really get enough nourishment. And every time they try to put something in their mouth to feed this insatiable hunger, it just like burns up. And maybe they get just like little wisps that make it down their tiny throat. And so there's this feeling sense of, just never, never being satisfied. Nothing is enough. And, and even the thing that they want so bad causes, causes some pain uh, in, in the getting of it. So they're left in this, this constant state of wanting, of trying, of never being satisfied. I've always found this to be a, a, par- a powerful image And and there may be, like in the Buddhist tradition, they're really open to like, there are realms of existence that maybe we as human beings can't see, haven't been trained to see. And, And so there may be beings who really do live in this realm, who experience reality in this way. At the monastery, we would um, often take a morsel of food during a meal and and place it in a dish uh, as an offering to the hungry ghost. And we would do that after, at every meal. And it's part of the orioki. For those of you who are familiar with orioki, it's part of the orioki ritual is to take a small piece of food and place it on the end of your spatula as an offering to the hungry ghost. And last week we were talking about generosity and that's you know, a spirit, one, you know, one aspect is, you know, the spirit of generosity, this willingness to share, to share what we have to nourish others. Um, But there also is this acknowledgement, perhaps in doing that, we can open to 
oh yes like to the hungry ghost perhaps within us but also to people who are beings that may be in this realm and grant them perhaps like moments or licks or tastes of perhaps a little less suffering so teachers like Trungpa Rinpoche and Maizumi Roshi um, really helped bring alive uh, this quality of the hungry ghost as an aspect of our own uh, psyches, as our own energies. And it's, you know, you could say maybe more of a Buddhist modernist lens. But we're, but we're invited to work with the hungry ghost as a part of us. And this was really alive in my training at the monastery and in many of the teachings that I received um, from other teachers uh, who came through the monastery, like H.O. McMullen, who spent a lot of time in Japan and is familiar with this uh, ritual of the hungry ghost uh, from, the, from the Japanese Soto Zen perspective. And really said, and people speak to, well, this is an energy that we have to know in ourselves. So we too have parts of ourselves that hunger. Maybe that image of the hungry ghost like really speaks to something that you know within you. That, that part of you maybe that hungers, that lusts, that desires, that wants. And despite all the ways that it tries to get what it wants, we never quite feel satisfied or that part never quite feels satisfied. So whether it's material success or money or promotion or status or food or sex or sexual pleasure or romantic love or intoxication or any of the various things that, that the, those parts of us can, can grab for, can want for, they're never satisfied. And that's the core quality of the hungry ghost. It's wanting and not being satisfied. So what I've come to appreciate about the hungry ghost energy is that it can take uh, these many forms of longing. And some of the forms are more socially acceptable than others. So this, the hungry ghost energy can really, I think, be deeply uh, enmeshed or, or at least connected to uh, shame within our systems. Like some of the things perhaps that the hungry ghost wants, maybe we feel or it triggers a part of us that feels like a failure or not good enough for not being able to get those things or to feel satisfied. Um, or maybe we just have some shame around what those parts want. And maybe the ways that we've gone about trying to satisfy those parts has, has had to be maybe a little bit in secret or hidden. So to work with the energy of the hungry ghost, you could say is a form of, of shadow work. It's, it's bringing this energy a little bit more up into our uh, awareness and perhaps allowing us, and sometimes we need like a special container to do this, allowing us to actually see and be with that energy without trying to like fight with it or push it away or judge it or let the shame really take over so we can't actually be with or get to know uh, the energy of the hungry heart itself. 
So the hungry ghost energy can also have a bit of a trickster energy. Uh, so some of the things perhaps that the hungry ghost wants for, um, maybe like the hungry ghost is the part of us that likes to be intoxicated or really likes pleasure or, you know, the part of us that could eat the whole chocolate cake or watch a full seasons, full season of a Netflix show in one night um, or has certain fetishes or likes to play video games or maybe even throws temper tantrums or feels like they aren't good enough or that something's wrong with them. So it can have this quality, like this, this trickster, trickster energy. I think of it for those of you who are familiar with the tarot, like the devil card in the tarot. And I, I appreciate that energy in a way that it can remind us that this path of awakening our spiritual practice isn't so much a self-improvement project. So from one perspective, we can be like, oh, the hungry ghost, like if I just got rid of that energy, then I would be enlightened or then I would be good. Then I would be a good spiritual person. I would be pure or present or uh, aware all the time or compassionate, but I have this annoying energy that like wants things that aren't so pure or good or, you know, in, in this particular narrative that can sometimes develop when we're on the spiritual path. So this, you know, energy can remind us that actually awakening is not about getting rid of parts of ourselves that, that doesn't work and it can create a lot of inner tension to try to suppress or ignore uh, these parts of us. So spiritual practice isn't a self-improvement project. It's not about being good or successful it's, it's actually more about questioning what we have been conditioned to think of as good or successful. And Zen is a practice of wholeness, a practice of inclusivity, of embracing all that we contain. And embracing is different than letting those parts of us just run our lives. In the, and that's where this, there, we have this really interesting balance that can only come about when we're in a compassionate, present awareness. This balance of being able to embrace all these parts of us, including the hungry ghost energy, without letting it just completely run, run the ship run, run the bus, drive the bus, or however you want to talk about it. And we can learn to sense like the difference there between indulging the hungry ghost and just being with it with, with presence. And that's, you know, that gets to that question that I asked during the meditation of like, when you're with that energy, you know, sometimes we're just with it, with what it wants. And so then we're either trying to like suppress what it wants or we're like indulging in what it wants. But to be more clear about what it actually wants, what it actually needs, that's one way of beginning to embrace that energy and allowing it into our, 
into our systems, into our fold, into our awareness without like just letting its wants take over. What would it be like to hug our ghosts instead of fighting with them or resisting them or letting that process of resisting and fighting them exhaust our system until they just take over, which sometimes that's what happens. We're like pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And then the part that's been pushing it down all day gets tired and then like the hungry ghost swans just come out. And then sometimes after that, shame comes out. So it's like pushing it down, pushing it down. Okay, fine, I'll just eat the whole cake, but I'll do it in secret. And then the shame comes in. So that can, that can often be part of a, a spiral we can get in with, with, with the hungry ghost energy. So the question becomes like, what would it be like to be in relationship to that part? to the part that wants, that longs for, that perhaps feels like a failure sometimes, that part that's never satisfied. What does it really mean to be in relationship with that part of us? And as we practice being in relationship with that part of us, we also can you know, be in relationship with that part of others or with that part of the world, because this isn't something that is, is, is so personal it's actually an archetypal energy what's it like to be in relationship from a space of wise compassionate awareness and you may have have discovered this in the guided meditation that when we are able to be with this part of ourselves the hungry heart with from a place of wise, compassionate awareness, usually what that part really wants or really needs is our attention, our care, love, appreciation, compassion, to be acknowledged, to not have to be like judged all the time or pushed down or ignored or shamed. So to love it, our ghosts uh, doesn't mean indulging them. Dogen Zenji talks about the three minds of the Tenzo in one of his writings. And one of the minds is called the parental mind or grandmotherly mind. And that's the mind of wise compassion. So that would be like, you know, instead of pushing down this part or fighting with this part, like how you might respond to a child on a day when you're you know, in a, in a grounded place when they keep saying, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna. And you might say, well, I love you. Like really stop and say, I love you. And no, not right now. There's like a way that we can have boundaries (laughs) with our parts, but still be in loving relationship with them. Another fruitful way of being with this energy in meditation is just bringing curiosity to that feeling of wanting. And sometimes this comes up, I know for me, this comes up a lot in um, a meditation retreat where we've like taken away all of the actual 
ways of fulfilling those wants. And so that energy for me can come up and it will just say like, I want, I want, I want. And I can, you know, sometimes just feel that wanting. Maybe it's more of like a wordless longing, like something's not right. I'm not satisfied. I want. Or, you know, in meditation, you may have like the image or the thing that this part wants, but you can trace it back and just be with the feeling sensation in the body. And that's a really powerful practice to learn to feel our thoughts instead of just letting the thoughts kind of think themselves all the ways that they do to kind of rein them in and feel, oh, what does that actually feel like? What is that coming from? And in that way, like we can learn to be with that energy as just part of the energies that move through us. It's like riding the waves perhaps of discomfort or allowing longing to be one of the feelings that we feel one of the textures of life, not something you have to run from or hate or get rid of, and not something that you're at the mercy of either. But feeling, knowing that part intimately as a part of you that comes and goes like other thought forms, feelings, beliefs, experiences, And that can be powerful and you've probably all experienced that to some extent in meditation to be with a feeling that arises even if it's uncomfortable or it feels like anxiety or something that you're normally used to doing something about like pushing away or ignoring or um, fighting with but to actually let yourself feel it and, and let it move through, we develop a certain kind of confidence that, oh, I have the ability to feel this energy. It's just an energy. It's just a texture of body sensation and feeling tone and emotion perhaps, and maybe sometimes thought and belief too. But it's just, you know, it's just an energy. It's just something moving through us. And, it, and it's moving. And that's also something that can be quite empowering to experience. Like sometimes like we have a belief around certain parts of us or certain sensations like, oh, if I pay attention to it, it's just going to get worse and it's just going to take over and I'm going to get stuck in it. But usually if we're able to really be with it from a, from a place of presence, it it's moving and we can even like study that like oh is it constant or is it coming and going and like zoom in like where do you feel it does it actually have a shape or is it is it solid and you know bringing that spirit of curiosity to uh, investigating difficult or challenging feelings or sensations in the body that can be very empowering Sometimes maybe we'll only be able to stay with it for a couple of breaths or a millisecond or a couple of milliseconds before we like pop back up into thought or story or strategy. But even that can be very empowering just to take these moments of being with uh, these sensations that maybe we find usually uncomfortable in the body.
you know, to do that, to practice being with in that kind of way, we may be more able to like actually give that part a little bit of what it wants. And that could actually maybe be enough. Like, okay, it wants the whole piece, the whole cake or the whole piece of cake, but it may actually, if we like can savor a bite of cake, that actually might be satisfying for this part or enjoy like one episode of the TV show or play a video game alone or with a friend, you know, whatever the thing is that it's like really grasping for. If we indulge it, we usually find that we're not actually satisfied, but there may be just a little titrated dose that is medicinal, that that actually brings a sense of satisfaction. So in Zen, we acknowledge and work with polarities. And part of meeting the hungry ghost is meeting that sense of never being satisfied, of wanting, but also part of meeting the hungry ghost can, can open us up to the other side of that polarity, which is satisfaction. So sometimes we forget this because we're so busy trying to tame or control or resist the hungry part of us, but we can practice satisfaction. Dogen Zenji in his Eight Realizations of a Great Being names being satisfied. He names it knowing how much is enough as um, one of the practices of a bodhisattva. So that's something else we're studying during this ongo are the practices of a bodhisattva. So I want to read from you a little, I'll read to you a little section from Dogen Zenji on this uh, fascicle called the eight realizations of a great being. The second awakening is being satisfied or knowing how much is enough. Even if you already have something, set a limit for yourself for using it. So you should know how much is enough. Then the Buddha said, monks, if you want to be free from suffering, you should contemplate knowing how much is enough. By knowing it, you are in a place of enjoyment and peacefulness. If you know how much is enough, you are content even when you sleep on the ground. If you don't know it, you are discontent even if you are in heaven. You can feel rich even if you are poor. You can feel poor even if you have much wealth. You may be constantly compelled by the five sense desires and pitied by those who know how much is enough. This is called to know how much is enough. So when we are present, like, like really resting in our presence, and you may experience this sometimes in meditation, often there's satisfaction. And sometimes we can look for it because maybe we're not tuned into that subtle form of satisfaction. So it might not be the satisfaction that's imagined when we like have those images of eating the whole chocolate cake or seeing a movie or going to the beach or having such and such experience, whatever experience is kind of popping into our mind that we start to grasp at, like, I want that. But our comparing minds always think that satisfaction is somewhere else. To practice satisfaction, to practice it is 
to actually experience satisfaction is a quality of attention. So when we can you know, slow down, usually it involves some kind of slowing down because our minds and our ideas of what is satisfying are comparing to others who are experiencing satisfaction and we're not, you know, that can be so quick. But to slow down and come back into our body, come back into presence, even, and this is an amazing thing, and you also may have had this experience in meditation, like even feeling uncomfortable feelings can be satisfying. And it's, it's satisfying in the sense of like, oh, I'm actually with what's happening. I'm actually like in truth right now. And so that they can like, you know, here's a question like, can feeling dissatisfaction be satisfying? Like, to actually like feel, get curious about, be present with the feeling of dissatisfaction, I, it can, which is very interesting. <laughs> and that can, again, that, that's another. In a way that we can build confidence in this path, confidence in ourselves, is that we can feel our own feelings without running away. That we don't need to be afraid of what we can contain. And sometimes perhaps we can only take in a small amount of satisfaction. I have this distinct memory of I was in Japan and I was studying this this text that I just read you of, of Dogen Zenji. And I was like, oh yeah, to be satisfied. Like, I really want that. But I was like having this just bout of jealousy where I was comparing myself to somebody and just like really wanting what they had. And, and that belief like kept getting activated. And I, I like would have this thought like, well, I just need to work harder because I want to be as clear and compassionate as this other person. And then I remembered this teaching and I was like, what if I practiced satisfaction in this moment? What would that be like? What if I, I was, it really felt like I was riding a bull and I had this thought, like, what if I got off the bull of this thought and stopped riding it and just letting it like toss me around and like, like stepped into the satisfaction of breathing, <laughs> of, of being with my life as it is. And it felt so good. And like I could, I could do it for like a couple of seconds and it felt so good and it did feel completely satisfying. And then the thought burst in again, like the bowl burst in again. If you just sit around, how could you be satisfied? You'll never get enlightened. Like, if you just sit around being satisfied, you'll never get enlightened. That was the way it tried to pull me. And I almost climbed right back on. And probably like I've done that a thousand million times. I've climbed right back on. But in this moment, because I had just had that experience of like really letting myself be satisfied in this moment and really experiencing it, I had a little bit more space. Like I couldn't completely believe that thought, like that was the way. And it used some pretty strong temptation words for me. Like you'll never be enlightened if you decide that you're just going to hang out and be satisfied all the time. <clears throat> I could see that wasn't completely true. And, you know, the truth is like, both are true. 
I can't just sit around and be satisfied all the time. I'll never be enlightened. And like satisfaction is right here and I can be completely satisfied in this moment. Maizumi Roshi used to say, Chosen would say this to us. I never heard him say it, but she would say, he would say, I'm completely satisfied and I'm completely dissatisfied. And Suzuki Roshi used to say, or if, oh, this is also a quote that I heard from Suzuki Roshi, you are all enlightened just as you are and you could all use a little improvement. And so that, you know, that's one way of working with these, this polarity of like the hungry ghost. Yes, the hungry ghost is dissatisfied. The hungry ghost, part of the archetype of the hungry ghost is it will never be satisfied. And there's actually something beautiful in that, that like propels, that can propel us on the path, remind us that there's still more to see. And we can always, we always have access to satisfaction. We can find and know satisfaction like from the core of our being and learn to rest in it. And maybe perhaps for moments that hungry ghost part of us can also rest in it. But remember, its nature is to be dissatisfied. So it's not going to be able to do that for very long but we don't have to be identified with the dissatisfaction it's another side of this so in uh, Soto Zen monasteries I mentioned this uh, they chant the hungry ghost chant the Khan Roman uh, as part of their evening ceremony or their evening service every day and Ajo McMullen Roshi who studied in Japan um, gave a talk at CCO and was telling us that part of that practice is to help balance this energy of purity that can sometimes develop, especially in monastic practice, but can develop sometimes when we like pick up a spiritual practice. We can get attached to this idea of purity or spaciousness or compassion and want to like excise or cut out these other parts of us. So I'd like to offer a part of this ceremony now uh, as a way of honoring the hungry heart and staying connected to this very human experience of feeling failure or longing to be redeemed or wanting, wanting satisfaction and feeling dissatisfied. And so however like you've been in touch with the hungry ghost during uh, this talk or during the last couple of weeks as we've been invoking it in our chanting um, calling calling that energy to mind maybe you have a little offering for it and you want to put that somewhere on your altar and um, see, I'll share my screen and we'll uh, chant the hungry ghost chant and I'll start by um, doing an invocation for this hungry part of us. And then we'll invoke, and the, the chant of the Khanraman, uh, which is the chant for the hungry spirits, is, um, I'm sharing it, yeah. is a chant of both 
invoking, embracing that part and, and feeding it. So you can imagine as we chant that chant together, like calling forth that energy perhaps in yourself, um, but also maybe in, in the world and offering that, that hungry spirit. Maybe you had a specific thing that you know that part really needs or otherwise offering it attention, wisdom, compassion, understanding, appreciation, just letting it feel those qualities of the Dharma. So we say offering you this Bodhi mind. You can imagine yourself as, as the Bodhisattva of compassion who really you know, has this vow to offer whatever a being needs to help it on its path to awakening. So I'll begin with an uh, invocation. Giving rise to the thought of awakening, we present a vessel of pure food, offering it to all the hungry ghosts in every country of the innumerable lands in the Dharma realm, throughout all space in the 10 directions. Please come and gather here, you departed long ago, and all spirits from earth, gods of mountains and rivers, to demons of barren wastes. With compassion in our hearts, we feed you this food now. We pray that every one of you, having received this food of ours, offers it in turn to all Buddhas, holy ones, and sentient beings through all realms of empty space that all may be satisfied. We also pray that your bodies conveyed by this Dharani food may leave suffering behind and gain liberation, that you may give rise to the thought of awakening, practice the path of awakening, and in the future become Buddhas, that you may never backslide, and that whoever first attains the way may vow to lead others to liberation as well. And now we'll chant the chant to the hungry spirits. Kanroman, calling all you hungry hearts everywhere through endless time. You who wander, you who thirst, I offer you this body mind, calling all you hungry spirits, all the lost and the left behind, calling all you hungry hearts, Everywhere through endless time, gather round and share this meal. Your joy and your sorrow, I make it mine. Calling all you hungry hearts, everywhere through endless time. You who wander, you who thirst, I offer you this body mind. 
Calling all you hungry spirits, all the lost and the left behind. Calling all you hungry hearts, everywhere through endless time. Gather round and share this meal. Your joy and your sorrow, I make it mine. Calling all you hungry hearts, everywhere through endless time. You who wander, you who thirst, I offer you this body mind. Calling all you hungry spirits, all the lost and the left behind. Calling all you hungry hearts, everywhere through endless time. Gather round and share this meal, your joy and your sorrow, I make it mine.